Great to see you all. Um, I don't know if you had the same problem that I had this morning. I didn't know how to get here not coming through a snowstorm. It was like something is wrong. Doesn't, doesn't it kind of seem like every week uh, for the last uh, 20 some months that we've had a snowstorm trying to get here? Maybe spring is almost here. Maybe, maybe. We're in week two of this series that we've been calling The Kingdom is Like. And what we want to do over this series is we want to think about the kingdom of God. Because this idea of the kingdom of God, it's a major theme that runs all the way through the scripture. We want to answer questions like, what, what exactly is the kingdom of God? It's talked about all throughout the scripture, but what is the kingdom of God? And maybe even a real honest question, am I a part of the kingdom of God? And maybe another question would be, how do I partner with God in bringing his kingdom to this earth. And if we are a part of God's kingdom, what does it mean for us to live as people of the kingdom? And last week when Chris kicked off this series, we laid out before you just a very simple definition of the kingdom of God, and it's simply this, the rule and the reign of God. The kingdom of God is simply his rule and reign. Wherever God's rule is made manifest in this world, that is where his kingdom exists. Wherever God is the ultimate authority in this world, meaning that he is the king, that is where God's kingdom is. And this is why we believe this is so important. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, the the launch of the church, between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven, Luke tells us in Acts chapter one that Jesus spent those 40 days that he was here on earth teaching people about the kingdom of God. So we know that this is a central message. If you've only got 40 days before you're gonna ascend into heaven and this is the central message, it is important to you and so it's important to us as well. And this is why I believe that it was so important. Jesus knew That his disciples, his closest followers, these men and women that had even been with him his whole ministry, they didn't understand the kingdom of God. They had something different in their mind than what he was going to build. See, in their mind, they thought it was going to be a kingdom like an earthly kingdom. That Jesus was going to sit on a throne. They were going to throw out the Roman Empire and make Israel a nation again. But that isn't what Jesus had in mind. And this is why this was so difficult for the disciples. Here's what happened. This whole time that they spent with him talking about the kingdom, but then their king, their Messiah, he was killed. But then on the third day, he's raised again. And so there's tons of questions that are going on in their mind. They're amazed by this. They're incredibly overjoyed by the reality that Jesus was raised from the dead, but they were completely confused. This just doesn't seem like the plan. And there were a lot of questions that they were asking for themselves. What does this mean? But even more specifically, what does this mean for us? We've left everything, we followed Jesus. What's coming next? And it's in the context of these kinds of questions that we jump into the text of scripture that we're going to look at today, John chapter 21. Following the resurrection of Jesus, there were some disciples that were gathered together, and they were along the Sea of Galilee, 
which would be a normal thing for them. Many of them were fishermen. This is what they did. But they're pondering, what is this kingdom thing? And they're waiting, waiting beside the Sea of Galilee. Finally, one of them, Peter, of course, he jumps up and he says, guys, I'm going fishing. Sounds like a normal thing to do. We'd like to go do that too, wouldn't we? Want to go fishing. Why? Why is Peter going fishing? We don't know. Maybe he was bored. Maybe he's just hungry. Wants to catch some fish to eat. Maybe he's going back to the family business. I don't know where this whole kingdom thing is going. Maybe I'm just going to go back to the family business of fishing. Whatever the reason is, he loads up his boat and the rest of the disciples say, hey, We're going with you. Fishing doesn't go well. To say that the sea was not generous would be an understatement. Hour after hour, they're throwing their nets, pulling them back in, nothing. Throwing their nets out, pulling them back in, nothing. I don't know a ton about the kind of fishing that they were doing, but I know a ton about the kind of fishing that I like to do. And this is what I know is true about fishing. When you're out, and you're catching things, it grabs your attention. You're paying attention to fishing. When you're out there and you're not catching things, your mind tends to wander, doesn't it? Your mind starts to think about other things. And this is what I'm imagining is happening with Peter. They're out there on the boat, catching absolutely nothing, and his mind starts to wander. He's starting to think about all the things that have happened over the last couple of weeks. His mind's a million miles away from these boats and these nets and this water. He's thinking about that anguished night. What night am I talking about? Talking about that night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. And on that night, as Jesus stood with his disciples, he told them, when they come and get me, Every one of you is going to desert me. You're going to completely scatter like a bunch of scared sheep. Peter was thinking to himself when Jesus said that, not me. Absolutely not me. Maybe everybody else is going to betray. Everyone else is going to run away, but not me. Jesus, you've totally underestimated me. Peter believed that so much in his soul that he actually corrected Jesus. He said, Jesus, you're wrong. Peter told the Messiah, you are wrong. I'm imagining that Peter was thinking, why did I open my mouth? Seems like every time I open my mouth, it's just to change feet. Constantly putting my foot in my mouth. I told the Messiah that he was wrong. Everyone else is gonna betray you. They might run, but not me. Peter knew in his heart, I was never more sincere than I was. I absolutely meant it. But then Jesus even upped the bar with Peter. He said, not only that, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're actually even gonna deny that you know me three times. Never, never, ever, Jesus, I will never deny you. I am willing to die for you. I'm willing to give my life. I know that Peter felt this incredible courage and he proved it. He absolutely proved it when Judas 
and the leading priest showed up to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? He took out his sword and he went at the servant of the high priest. And I know in Peter's mind, he's thinking, he is lucky I'm a fisherman and not a swordsman because I wasn't going to just cut off his ear. I was going for the center of his skull and I missed. But Jesus takes the ear, heals the man, and he looks at Peter and with a rebuke. He says, Peter, put your sword away. This is part of the plan, Peter. This is what must happen. So if this was the plan, the question I have is why did Peter run following this? Why did Peter run and hide? We don't know why Peter ran, we don't know where he ran, but he hid. He did exactly the thing that he swore that he wasn't gonna do because he fell face first into a pit of his own fears. But then eventually Peter came out of hiding. Eventually Peter came out of hiding and he began to follow because he heard the crowd. He heard the mob that was going to the courtyard of Caiaphas. This mock jury was gonna be there. Peter followed. As he gets there, he finds a fire that's been built. It starts to warm his hands. The night's cold. The fire is hot. But Peter's heart, it's lukewarm. He's following, but he's following at a distance. He's loyal, but he is loyal at a distance. See, what he wants to do is he wants to be close enough to see, but he doesn't want to be close enough to be seen. But there was a problem. Peter is seen. As he stands by the fire and people start to, the light from the fire starts to light up his face. There are people standing around and they recognize Peter. You, you were with him. You're one of them. You know the Nazarene. Three times they say this to Peter. Even a little girl says it to him. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. You know what was most painful of all? Not only did all of those people hear it, but Jesus heard it. How do we know that Jesus knew? How do we know that Jesus heard? Luke tells us. Luke tells us that when Peter heard the rooster crow, he remembered. In Luke twenty-two sixty-one, it says that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and he looked at him. Do you have any idea what that look was like? Probably his face was already bruised and swollen from being slapped. What was that look like? We don't know. But what I do know is that Peter knew. Peter knew exactly what that look was like because that look made his soul bare opened up his soul to the God of the universe. And I believe that as Jesus, that as Peter is out in that boat and fishing, probably thinking about everything that had happened over the last couple weeks, he's thinking about that look. That look that showed his fear, that look that showed his failure, 
that look that showed the reality that he was following Jesus, but following at a distance. But the darkness of that night and the darkness of the memories that Peter's had is shattered by a voice that shouts out from the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Verse four of John 21. It says, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he calls out. Jesus calls out to them, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. Memories, memories strike their mind. Then the disciple Jesus loved, who's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He's out there naked, fishing, crazy. But he jumps in the water and he heads to shore. In his mind, he's thinking, this boat isn't gonna get me there fast enough. I've gotta get there right now to see Jesus. The others stayed with the boat and they pulled the net to the shore for they were only, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. Peter dives in. He's got to get to Jesus, only about 100 yards away, but he can't wait. I think there's another memory, another deja vu happening for Peter as he closes that distance, every stroke, every step, as he moves that 100 yards toward Jesus, he's remembering. This wasn't the first miraculous catch that I saw in the life of Jesus. He's remembering three years before when he had the opportunity after a fishless night to see another miraculous catch. This was a little bit different. Same scene on the side of the Sea of Galilee. Peter's there, long night of fishing, no fish, cleaning his nets, cleaning the boat. But down on the other side of the shore over here, there's a rabbi and he's teaching the people and his name is Jesus. And as Jesus is teaching the people, there are so many people that are coming that Jesus is getting backed up to the edge of the water. So he simply looks, looks out to Peter and he says, can you come over here? Can I use your boy, boat as a platform so that I can speak to the people? Peter obliges. Peter comes over and helps him out with fishing or speaking. But then when he's done teaching, Jesus does something kind of interesting. He turns toward Peter and he says, how about going and doing some fishing? I wish that I could read Peter's mind. This is exactly what the Lord said. Luke chapter five, verse four, where this story takes place. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. I know that Peter just groaned inside. Seriously, we've just spent the whole night fishing. We've caught the donut, zero fish. Now the boat is clean and the nets are starting to be dry and the sun is up and Jesus, that means that the fish go down 
If we're gonna throw our nets under the surface of the water, there's gonna be nothing there. It is the wrong time of day. Jesus, you know a lot about a lot of things, it seems, but you don't know a lot about fishing, obviously. But Peter says, okay. He knows when it's time to work, he knows when it's time to quit, but he says, okay. And this is exactly what he says to Jesus in verse five. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But, and now these next words that come out of Peter's mouth, I think are the most important that he probably ever said. He said, but if you say so, I will. If you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Peter barely knew the rabbi, but he obeyed. I I didn't even understand exactly why or what he was asking me to do, but I just said yes. Peter would say, I think that was the best decision that I've ever made. Even though it didn't make sense to me, I just did what he said. I followed him. I followed him and I obeyed and it completely changed the trajectory of my life. As the story continues there in Luke 5, 5, verse six, it says, and this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Now something happens in the mind of Peter. He's watching this miracle that just took place before him. His question is, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? When Simon Peter realized what had happened, and probably even more importantly, realized who this was, It says that he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Doesn't that seem like an ironic thing to do when he realizes who Jesus is? Wouldn't he wanna move toward him? But there was something about the glory of God being shown to Peter in who Jesus was that caused the light to be shined on who he was. And the glory of Jesus allowed him to see his own guilt and he said, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter wanted to hide. One of those wanna get away. Peter wanted to get away. But Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. He moves toward him. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Peter dropped the nets, left the boats behind, and he was never the same after that catch. He followed. He followed Jesus, but not at a distance. Not at a distance. He followed him up close and personal. And I bet when he left those boats that day, he thought, I'm never gonna return to these boats. But here we are then, back in John 21, Peter's back at the boats. His life has come full circle 
in those three years. Same sea, same boat, same miraculous catch of fish. But it's a different Peter. It's a different Peter that is making his way to the feet of Jesus on that shore. This is what the scripture says in verse nine of John 21. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. The God of the universe making them food, making a fire. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. 153. Good day on the lower Madison, huh, guys, gals? Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Jesus has come. Jesus has come to him again, to the edge of the Sea of Galilee. But this time, this isn't just teacher, Jesus. This isn't just rabbi, Jesus. This is the Jesus that conquered death. This is the Jesus that declared victory over the darkness. This is Jesus the King. This is Jesus the King and the God of heaven and earth. And what's God doing? He's making a fire and he's making breakfast. Peter makes his way up to Jesus, stands in front of the fire the bed of coals that Jesus made. Both of them, both Jesus and Peter are aware of what happened the last time, a couple of weeks ago that Jesus, that Peter was standing by a fire. Peter had failed, but Jesus had come back. Jesus has come back. Peter failed in the courtyard, but Jesus came back to the Sea of Galilee. And you know, for Peter, this is one of those few times in his life that he's silent. He just stands there looking into that face. The look. The look of the one he'd betrayed. What's he finding? Peter's finding grace. He's finding grace on the shores of Galilee. I mean, what do you say in that moment? Jesus knows he knows everything that you did. You know everything that you did. But standing at the feet of Jesus, he's finding grace. But the scriptures tell us that Jesus is full of grace, but he's also full of truth. And so in this moment, Jesus brings some truth. He brings some truth to Peter, and he brings that truth in the form of some questions. Verse 15 after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I've always wanted to know, what's the these? What's he talking about? What is he pointing to? Do you love me more than these? 
A lot of people believe that he's pointing to the other disciples. Because one of the last times, Peter had told Jesus, even if all of them run away scared, I will not. But Jesus is asking, do you really, Peter, do you really love me more than these? Sometimes I've actually come to believe that maybe Jesus is talking about the fish. I mean, there is 153 fish sitting on the side of the shore. That is incredible wealth, a lot of money tied up in 153 fish. Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, are you gonna follow me? Or are you gonna go back to the boat? Are you gonna go back to fishing? Are you gonna follow me? I don't know that it even matters what the these are. Maybe that's why John doesn't even tell us what it is. Because the question that Jesus wants to know, wants us to know, wants Peter to know, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. And Jesus says, if you love me, then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And then Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Like Peter, do you, do you really love me? Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. You see the threes here. These three denials of Peter. I don't know him. I don't even know who he is. Three questions of Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Peter gives him three affirmations. Jesus, you know I love you. Absolutely, you know that I love you. And then three times, Jesus gives him a commission. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me, love my sheep. In verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do what you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then he says it again. Just like he did back in Luke 5 when he first met Peter, then Jesus told him, follow me. Follow me, Peter. Will you follow me? Peter knew. Peter knew Jesus was saying, follow me, not at a distance. Peter, Peter don't hang in the shadows. Follow me up close and personal. Make me your king. Love me more than these. Love me more than anything. And he's saying, hear my voice. Peter, hear my voice. 
and follow me. Just like you did that first time in the boat when I told you to throw out in the middle of the day. You said, because you say so, I will. Peter, let those be the words that are always on your tongue. Whatever I say, follow through. Follow me, Peter. Will you follow me? Because Peter knew Jesus is not looking for fans. He's not looking for people to, to stand up in the stands and clap and applaud him. He's asking for followers. Will you follow me, Peter? Not at a distance, but up close and personal. Luke tells us that it was during these 40 days that Jesus was teaching his disciples, those close to him, about the kingdom of God. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, what can we learn about the kingdom of God from this story? What can we learn that is true about the kingdom of God? There's three that jump out to me. One is that people of the kingdom, they understand and they live out repentance. Repentance just means turning away from sin, turning toward God. This is a beautiful picture of that in Peter's life. Incredible failure. But he also knew, I can turn back to him. I will find grace, even in the face of my failure. Look at these two contrasting pictures of the miraculous catch. The first one that we talked about from Luke chapter five. What did Peter do when he realized his sinfulness? What was his response to Jesus? Go away. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. He wanted to be hidden. He wanted to be in the darkness. He didn't want the light of Jesus to shine into the deep places of his soul. What do we see in John 21? As Peter starts to think about the realities of the kingdom and to understand the kingdom, what does he do in the midst of failure? He jumps in the water and he swims to the feet of Jesus because he knows what he's gonna find there. He's gonna find grace. Jesus knows everything. Peter doesn't feel like he's got to hide. He's willing to show all of who he is before his savior because he's got nothing to lose. Hiddenness is what causes him to lose. Openness causes him to win. He comes before Jesus because he knows he'll find grace. He was willing to repent and come to him. You know, people that don't understand the kingdom, that aren't living in the kingdom, they think that sin is just, I broke a rule. I broke some kind of moral code. But people that live in the kingdom, what they know is that I broke a relationship. I broke a relationship with a person that I love and his name is Jesus. And my sin cost him dearly. When we think about our sin, we don't think about it as a breaking of a rule, we think about it as a breaking of a relationship. And we move toward him. And we acknowledge those things and we find grace. That's what's true of people that understand and live in the kingdom. A second thing that I think this story teaches us about the kingdom is simply that the kingdom implies we will have a king. It's just a matter of who is our king or what is our king. We will have a king. This is what I think is true of kingdom people. 
Jesus pressed toward Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Is there anything besides me, Peter, that's captured your attention? Anything that you love more, that you wanna give your time to, your energy to, your affection to? Is there anything, Peter, that's causing you to follow at a distance? What are the these? I think kingdom people were willing to stand before Jesus and ask, Holy Spirit, would you talk to me? What are the these in my life? Is there anything that's keeping me from devoted affection to you, Jesus? Whatever it is, I wanna know what it is and I wanna turn from it. Who or what is our king? Kingdom people invite that honest conversation with God and they turn from it. And lastly, I think this is what I think is true of kingdom people. They understand that following Jesus and loving Jesus means that we are gonna learn to love the things that Jesus loves. We'll love the things that he loves. That's why three times when Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? What's his response? Peter says yes, and he says, if you love me, if that's true, then feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Watch after my sheep. Why is that? Because that's what's on the heart of Jesus. He cares about his sheep. He cares about those sheep that are not part of his fold yet. And he says, if you love me, Peter, you're gonna start to love and care about the things that I love and care about. Peter, you're gonna be a shepherd. You're gonna be a fisherman. And friends, if we're gonna be kingdom people, we're gonna start to love the things that Jesus loves as well. We're gonna love people. We're gonna try to shepherd people toward the king. We're gonna try to help people understand that don't know him, who the king is, and what the king has done for him, for them, and invite them into a relationship with the king. You know what I love about this story? When we see what Peter did in the years following this account, is Peter loved people. He shepherded people. He was a fisherman of people. But he understood that that came from God. What Peter understood in the depths of his heart is that he was someone who had received an, a massive amount of grace from God. And here's what's true in the kingdom. It's when we realize the magnitude of what we've received from God in terms of his grace, that we're actually great people to be able to invite others into a relationship with the king. Because we realize we don't have it together. Peter knew that he didn't have it together. We, like Peter, realize I'm just a beggar telling other beggars how to find bread. We have compassion for people because we know what it's like to receive grace from God. That's what it means to live in the kingdom. Every one of us, I think, has to ask, who is my king? If the kingdom is the rule and the reign of God, who is ruling and reigning in my life? Is it anything other than Jesus? Here's what I think Jesus would want us to know. He is worthy.
He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of making him our king above everything else in this world. He is an amazing king. Let's watch this together. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. I wish I could describe him to you. Wow. Wow is right. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> Don't you wish I could preach like that? <laughs> I sure do. Let's pray. Jesus, that should be our response. 
Jesus, we should look at you and say, wow. Wow. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're our king. Thank you that we can look at you and say, wow. Thank you that you made a way for us to have a relationship with you. Jesus, thank you for living a perfect life apart from sin. Thank you for dying on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for sin that we deserved. Thank you that you rose again on the third day, proving once and for all you are the true king. Thank you for the invitation to follow you. Jesus, I just want to declare for me today, and I think for lots of my friends that are here, is we don't want to follow at a distance. We want to be up close and personal with you. Whatever you say, Jesus, we just want to say yes. Yes. We want to follow you. Jesus, thank you that you're our king. And it's in your powerful and matchless and resurrected name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.